Well, we're in a message series called Faith Heroes. And when we speak of heroes, <clears throat> oftentimes we, <clears throat> we elevate those people in our minds to some unattainable heights. I mean, you know, we have all kinds of heroes in the movies, and uh, those are people of superhuman powers. Uh, but we're not talking about that in the Bible. <clears throat> now, some mistaken churches refer to certain people as saints. You have to accomplish certain things or do a miracle or something, and then you're categorized as a saint. Well, the Bible speaks of all believers as saints. So if you're a believer today, you are a saint. Now, there are many churches that also relegate entire sections of the Bible simply to ancient history. And they believe it's simply not possible for us to see or do the miraculous things that we read about in the Bible. But neither of those beliefs are biblical the examples of people of faith in the Bible, what I'm calling faith heroes, were written not only to tell us what happened in the past, it does tell us what happened in the past, but they are also written to inspire us to follow their example, to inspire us to do the same things in our day. Let's look at a, a scripture from James chapter 5, and the scriptures are written out in the white page in the middle of your bulletin encourage you to follow along there. It also has the outline that you can take some notes and you'll have some fill in the blanks in a few minutes. James 5 verse 16 says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. And so what is James saying here? Well, in the context, he was instructing people in the church family to pray for one another for healing. And then the next thing he says, well, if you're a righteous person, if you're a believer, your prayers have great power. And then he brings up the example of Elijah. Elijah was an Old Testament prophet. He did miracles. He actually raised somebody from the dead. He was certainly a faith hero in the Bible. He's referring to the situation when Elijah prayed and rain stopped for a period of three and a half years. And then he prayed again and the rain came. All of this under God's instruction. Now notice what it says here. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Why did James put that in there? Because he wanted us to understand that Elijah wasn't somebody with superhuman powers. He had the same nature we have. The things that Elijah accomplished in his life, as we follow God, we can also accomplish supernatural things. Now, it's not saying if you pray, you're going to stop the rain in Missouri for three and a half years. I don't believe God is saying that to us today. If he was, maybe we would do that. But there's all kinds of other things that God is calling us to pray about. And our prayers can have the same power that Elijah's prayers had. In other words, Elijah was not a superhero that we cannot possibly do anything that he did. He was simply someone who was anointed with the Spirit. And we, as New Testament believers, have the Spirit in our lives as well. And we can and should pray the same type of prayers of faith as Elijah. Now today we're going to be looking at a prophet who was Elijah's successor. His name was Elisha. So there are two different ones. I tend to get a little bit mixed up on who did what miracle because a lot of their miracles were similar. But Elijah was the first prophet, and we're going to talk about his successor, Elisha. And I've entitled today's message, Your Calling. 
And we're going to look at the calling of Elisha the prophet. Now what is a calling? A calling in the Bible is simply God calling someone to be or do something for him. A calling originates in God. A calling doesn't come from us. And whatever God calls a person to do, he gives that person the anointing or power to do it. Now, what does God call people to, to do? Well, God calls every, his call is out for everyone to be saved. I mean, that's the most important call. God calls everyone to be saved. 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen race that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so Peter is writing to believers who God called out of the darkness of unbelief into the light of believing. Then when somebody is a believer, God calls believers to live a holy life. 2 Timothy 1.9 says he has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. And so God calls us as believers, as people who are saved, to live holy lives in keeping with his commands in walking with his spirit. God calls all believers to be his witnesses. Matthew 28, verse 19, Jesus says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so these are general callings. They're for every person. They're for every believer. God's callings always have a spiritual dimension. And fulfilling God's calling for your life will fulfill God's purpose for your life, and it will impact eternity. So let's begin by looking at the life of Elisha and use him as an example to learn things that we can apply to our lives. The first thing is to look at God's purpose for our lives. Our story begins in 1 Kings chapter 19. Begins with Elijah. So he, that is Elijah, departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plying with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the 12th. So this is our first introduction to Elisha. Where do we see him? We see him working as a farmer. He was plowing, uh, not him personally, with 12 yoke of oxen. There's obviously 11 other men, each with a yoke of oxen, and he was with the 12th. He was supervising these other men as well as plowing himself. So undoubtedly, Elisha and his family were fairly prosperous. I mean, 12 yoke of oxen, I don't know what that'd be equivalent, probably to having 12 cars or something today. I mean, that was a lot of money. They were fairly prosperous. He, he had a good job, as we would say. Now, Elijah, where was he at at this time? He had just defeated the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. He called fire down from heaven to prove that God was the true God. Fire had come down, consumed the sacrifice. And then, for unknown reasons, he became very afraid of Jezebel and ran for his life. And God spoke to him and said, I've still got work for you to do. Don't hide from me. And God gave him his plans for the next phase of Elijah's ministry. And one of those plans was to anoint Elisha as his successor. And so God has a purpose for your life. He had a purpose for Elijah's life. He had a purpose for Elisha's life. He has a purpose for our lives. And so we are also called by God. Let's see how it happened for Elisha. Verse 19, Elijah passed by him, that's Elisha, and cast his cloak upon him. 
And then he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. So in the culture of those days, when someone gave you their cloak or put their cloak over you, it, it indicated that you were in the process of having their calling transferred to you. You were in the process of having their anointing transferred to you as well or given to you. Now, there's little recorded discussion between the two men at this time. But Elisha knew, he obviously was a God-fearer, a God-believer before this happened. He knew that God was calling him as a prophet, just like Elijah. He parted with his current job. He sacrificed his oxen. He prepared it and gave a great feast. So everybody would know he's done with farming. He's moving on into another aspect of call upon his life. He left his parents. He left his family. He followed Elijah and served him as Elijah's personal assistant. So the call of God on Elisha's life caused a radical change in his career and lifestyle. And Elisha was available. Elisha was willing to make that change and to make it fairly quickly. And yet Elisha still needed the power that Elijah was, was ministering in. He needed that power in his own life if he was going to fulfill the call. And Elijah was a well-known prophet. He'd done many supernatural things, worked many miracles, spoke for God in many different ways. And so Elisha needed that in his life. And as we read, we see that Elisha faithfully served Elijah for eight years. And not one thing is written about what Elisha did during those eight years. He served him, he learned, he saw, he walked with him, he learned with him. God was preparing him to be anointed for service. So we're going to jump over to 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way to Gilgal. So this is the next reference to Elisha in the scripture. It's a bunch of chapters later. What happened in between was all kinds of miracles that Elijah did. And Elisha was not even mentioned. Both Elijah and Elisha knew that this was the time for Elijah's departure. In fact, God had told them what was going to happen. We'll talk about that in a minute. It was very unusual. Undoubtedly, as they took their last journey together, they talked about the past, they looked forward to Elisha's future. Elijah's future was in heaven. And as they approached the Jordan River on their journey, Elijah took off his cloak, rolled it up, and hit the water in the river. And the river parted. And they walked across on dry ground. This miracle demonstrated the powerful anointing of the Holy Spirit in Elijah's life. When they had crossed this river, the Jordan River, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And so Elijah had asked Elisha for a final request before he was taken up into heaven. 
Elisha had just seen a river part. They walk across in dry ground. I think that's only happened one time before with Joshua, if my memory is right. It doesn't happen very often. It's a, I mean, if you ever saw that, if we ever caught that on video, I mean, it would be amazing, wouldn't it? Okay. But Elisha was asking for a double anointing. Twice as much supernatural power as Elijah had had. And Elijah replied, If you see me when I'm taken up, then your request will be granted. Well, what happened? Well, as they still went on, verse 11, and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. They didn't know exactly what was going to happen. They knew Elijah was going to be taken and they continued to walk and talk and suddenly these horses and chariots of fire came down. I assume that Elijah stepped in, took a seat, and up he went into heaven. Elijah had seen it and that indicated that he had the gift, God had given the gift of being able to see into the supernatural dimension. Not many people have that gift. There are angels all around us. That was angels there. But only a few God gives the gift of being able to see them. And as Elijah went up into heaven, fluttering down from the sky came Elijah's cloak. Elisha picked it up. You know, only three people in the Bible have been taken directly into heaven. Really, kind of only two. I mean, Enoch was taken without dying, and Elijah was taken up without dying. Now, Jesus, I mean, it's, that's a whole other thing, but he did ascend after he resurrected. He did ascend into heaven, uh, but <clears throat> that was after he had died. And so really, only two people have not died, but been taken directly into heaven as recorded in the Bible. And so Elisha picked up the cloak and began to return to the school of the prophets that Elijah had founded. And he came to the Jordan River. So he took Elijah's cloak and said, where is the God of Elijah? And he smote the water and the river parted. And he walked across on dry ground. And on the other side were the Sons of the prophets, the prophetic school, and they saw what happened. That surely the Spirit of God now rests upon Elisha. Elisha had been called, and now he'd been anointed by God for his calling. So let's talk a little bit more about God's calling on our lives today. God's calling has to do with what he's calling you to do to expand his kingdom. Now, oftentimes, people speak of their jobs or careers as their calling. I don't believe that's really biblical. It's at least not your primary calling. It might be a secondary or specific calling. But the Bible never speaks of one's job as their calling. Paul was a tent maker. That was what he did for much of his life. But his calling was not as a tent maker. His calling was as an apostle. Elisha, we just talked about, was a farmer by trade, but his calling was a prophet. Many of the disciples were fishermen by trade, but, but their calling 
was to serve God in many different ways. Now, there are some times in our culture where one's career and calling are, are one and the same, at least for certain seasons, for pastors, certain teachers, evangelists. But for most people, they have various jobs and careers, and they today, more than ever, they'll often change during our life. It used to be once you had a career, you stuck with it for a lifetime, not so much anymore. But what is your calling if it's not your career, if it's not your job, your calling will be in keeping with the spiritual gifts and abilities that God has given you. You may be a, a plumber, for example. And God, call, God speaks to people. He guides people in different careers. I'm not saying that God isn't involved in that. It's very important to seek for God's guidance in what jobs you take, what careers you pursue. And he'll help you to figure out what you're good at. He'll help you figure out what you're natural abilities are and where that's going to fit. But you might be a plumber, for example, but your calling from God may be as a witness for Jesus. And God is going to use you as a plumber to be a witness for him. You're going to touch people as a plumber that you would never have touched in any other way. And that goes for any other example of job or career. You may be a, an accountant but your calling may be to provide extraordinary financial resources for the church and missions. And that's one of the primary purposes as well as being a witness on your job. You may be a medical person, but your calling may be to bring supernatural healing to people that will lead them to Jesus. I know of doctors who pray for their patients and see God do miraculous things in their lives. Your calling will remain the same throughout your life, even though your job or career may change. And so as a farmer, God was preparing Elisha to step into this prophetic calling that he was calling him to do. And that was all preparation for him. You're not defined by your job. You're not defined by your career. They're very important. I'm not saying they're not important, but God designed you for his calling. And you live out that calling through your career or job. We'll talk a little bit more of that in a while. So all callings are about meeting other people's needs with compassion. As one goes through the miracles that the Bible records for Elijah and Elisha, you'll see that Elisha had twice as many miracles recorded in the Bible as Elijah did. And so Elisha's request for a double portion of spiritual anointing was granted. We're going to just look at a couple of examples today. Uh, we're in a very quick overview of Elisha's life. A couple examples of miracles that he worked through the Holy Spirit. And these were meeting other people's needs with compassion. The first was he, he served his city supernaturally. Verse 19, now the men of the city said to Elisha, Behold, the situation of this city is pleasant as my Lord sees. But the water is bad and the land is unfruitful. So Elisha was at the city of Jericho. And that city had a problem. Their water supply was not good. It was contaminated or something was in it that made it ill-suited for human consumption or even to grow crops. Now this might, this was the city of Jericho. It might have been the result of Joshua's curse hundreds of years before that anybody that rebuilt that city would be under God's curse. We don't know. 
But undoubtedly, in that city, there were people living in it who feared God. There were probably people living in it who did not fear God, believers and unbelievers. And I'll be honest, if it's me and somebody comes up and says, you know, um, the water in Baldwin is bad, Pastor. Why don't you do something about it? I'd say, hey, that's not my problem. You know, I, I don't have anything to do with water supplies. But rather than dismissing their complaint, which had to do with a physical issue, not a spiritual problem, what did Elisha do? Well, it said, he said, bring me a new bowl and put some salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went to the spring of water and threw salt in it and said, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From now on, neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. And so now we see some of the bad results of that water. People had actually died. Women had miscarried. And it was due to this contaminated water. Now my background is in science, and I, I know that throwing salt into a spring of water scientifically isn't going to do anything, right? It's not going to fix anything. It'll be washed out in a few minutes. So this was not a physical fixing of the water supply. This was a supernatural miracle through the power of the Lord. Elisha obeyed God. He threw that salt in and somehow God anointed that salt and that action by Elisha to completely change the character of that spring, of that water supply. The next verse tells us that indeed the water was healed. I think this is the only place in the Bible that water is healed. And it caused no harm. Elisha had met the needs of the city through a miracle. Secondly, we serve the city. We're speaking broadly of unbelievers. God calls us to serve unbelievers. God also calls us to serve believers' needs. Elisha did many miracles throughout his ministry. As I said, twice as many as Elijah. But let's look at just one more this morning. He was sitting down to eat with the men who were part of his and Elijah's school of the prophets. These were obviously believers. People were pressing into God. They wanted to learn how to prophesy, how to lead God's people. And so part of Elisha's calling was not only to do miracles, uh, not only to speak for God, but to raise up other prophetic leaders. And they were sitting together to eat. And some of the men had gone out and collected some things for a stew, which included uh, some wild gourds, the Bible says. And in verse 40, it says, And they poured out some for the men to eat. But while they were eating of the stew, they cried out, Oh, man of God, there is death in the pot. And they could not eat. He said, bring, bring, Then bring flour. And he threw it into the pot and said, Pour some out for the men that they may eat. And there was no harm in the, in the pot. Well, obviously, the stew had contained some type of poisonous gourds that uh, probably made some of the men deathly ill. With my guess, how else would they have known? And I believe God directed Elisha to put the flour into the pot, not only changing the composition of the stew, but somehow healing the men that had already eaten, or perhaps it was as they ate the stew from the pot, they were healed. I don't know. I just think it took a lot of faith for the men to eat the stew 
after Elisha threw the flour in it because they knew, you know, that's not going to change any poisonous character. But again, it wasn't the flour. It was the power of God as Elisha obeyed that caused the stew to be healed. And so this was another supernatural miracle of Elisha directed towards meeting the needs of believers. And I believe that these two miracles are representative or illustrate two main aspects of God's calling on each of our lives. Your calling involves both meeting the needs of unbelievers in society around us. And of course, that's pretty much what all jobs do. But God wants us not just to see it as a job, but, but as, a, as a calling. We are serving not just other people, on our jobs, we are serving God Himself. Meeting the needs of unbelievers in society, that's part of our calling, and meeting the needs of believers within the church family, two aspects of our calling. Now, some people may be used more in one avenue than the other, but everyone is called by God to meet needs with compassion, both of believers and unbelievers. And so expect, pray for God to use your abilities your natural abilities, and your supernatural giftings to meet the needs of others. As you serve God with excellence in your job, you open the door for others to pay attention to bringing a supernatural dimension into the workplace. Now, it takes courage to take a risk and to pray for someone on the workplace or to speak to them about Jesus, but that's part of our calling. God calls every believer to be involved in ministry in the church. As each of us plays our part in the body of Christ, the church body grows. And so our calling is to meet needs with compassion, loving the Lord with everything we have and our neighbor as ourself. Finally, we are to fulfill our calling until the end. It's uh, estimated that Elisha's ministry, including his being mentored by Elijah, covered a span of 63 years in Israel. And God used mightily, Elisha mightily under the uh, reign of six kings in a time of great evil in Israel. And so it now came the time at the end of Elisha's life that was approaching. And we're going to see that Elisha was not taken up by a whirlwind into heaven. See what happened in 2 Kings 13, verse 14. Now when Elisha had fallen sick with the illness of which he was to die, Joash, king of Israel, went down to him and wept before him, crying, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. So in the Bible, Elisha's ministry is, is recorded as him being faithful from his call into ministry until the very end of his life. Why wasn't Elisha taken up by a whirlwind into heaven? We don't know. The Bible doesn't answer that question. The Bible answers the questions we really need to know. But as most of us, Elisha was taken into eternity through some type of sickness. I mean, that's sickness or accident is basically how most, most people go. But we see that even when Elisha was basically on his deathbed, he kept on fulfilling his calling. The king of Israel came to see him, and he spoke prophetically for God. He said to the king, and the king had come because they were having military conflict with the nation of Syria. Elisha said, open the window eastward, and he opened it. Then Elisha said, shoot, and he shot. And he said, the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Syria, 
for you shall fight these Syrians in Aphek until you have made an end of them. So uh, Elisha prophesied that Israel would have victory over their enemy Syria. And then he told Joash to strike the ground with his arrows. And Joash struck three times. And Elisha was upset with him. He said, you should have struck five or six. Then you would have had a complete victory. But now you'll only have a partial victory. And so Elisha, lying on his deathbed, on his sickbed, was still functioning in his prophetic calling right up until he passed on. But Elisha left a spiritual legacy. It says, so Elisha died and they buried him. And as a man was being buried, another man, behold, a marauding band was seen and the man was thrown into the grave of Elisha. And as soon as the man touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. I'm not sure I can totally explain this, okay? So, uh, but anyhow, the anointing on Elijah was so powerful that even his, re his bones retained some type of spiritual anointing that raised a dead man to life. Now, during their lives, both Elijah and Elisha raised one person from the dead, but now, even though he was dead, he raised a second person. So again, he did twice as much as Elijah. In one sense, this was part of Elijah's spiritual legacy. He also left the school of the prophets to continue his work. He fulfilled his calling to the end and left a spiritual legacy. And so God calls each one of us to fulfill our calling to the end of our lives, to leave a spiritual legacy for the next generation. Now, in our culture, we have a concept of retirement that, that I believe really is foreign to the Bible. Retirement is often seen as a time of doing no work, and simply living to please ourselves. And yet we've seen that one's calling continues throughout life. Even though you have retired from a particular job. In fact, God never calls us to retire from work. And not all work is a, a paid job, you see. God doesn't call us to retire from work. Everyone who is able should continue to work in one capacity or another throughout life to be productive for God. Oftentimes, retirement may be a time of life when you can do even more work for the kingdom than when you were employed full-time. It's just a change in how your calling is expressed. It's just a change, like you change from one job to another, even in retirement, it's just a change. And so retirement should be seen as an opportunity for different work and ministry in keeping with your lifelong calling. God desires for us to fulfill our calling throughout life to the very end. And so today we've done a very brief survey of the life and ministry of Elisha. Left out a lot of the miracles, as we don't have time for it this morning, beginning with his call, ending with his spiritual legacy. And so God has a purpose for our lives. He has a purpose for your life, just as he did for Elisha. You have a calling from God that is unique to how God created you. You have an anointing to give you the power to fulfill your calling. And your calling has two dimensions. The first is to grow in your relationship with God. And the second is to grow in your relationships and show your love for people around you, both believers and unbelievers, meeting needs with compassion. And finally, I'd like to assert to you that I believe your calling and your career are not really the same. Your career is a subset. It, it's a specific type of calling, but it's 
underneath the umbrella of what God is calling you to do in a spiritual dimension. And our calling continues throughout life. We would never retire from God's calling on our lives. God calls us to speak prophetically for him. God calls us to leave a spiritual legacy for the next generation. And we pray, I pray that God would help each of us to understand and live out our calling for him. In order to discover God's calling on your life, you must take the first wise step of becoming a believer in Jesus Christ. There are not multiple ways to be saved. Jesus is the only way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. I'd like to ask everyone to bow your heads right now. And we're going to pray. If you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ or you'd like to recommit your life to him this morning, Let's pray something like this. Father, today I admit that I've sinned. I've been following my own plan for my life rather than your plan, rather than your calling. Please forgive me. I believe Jesus died on the cross that my sins might be forgiven. He rose from the dead three days later, and I commit my life to serving him as my Lord and Savior. Finally, let's all pray together, those of us who are believers, Father, We pray that you'd help each one of us to understand and fulfill your calling on our lives. Help us to understand how it's lived out in our families, in our neighborhood, on our job, in every aspect of our lives. May we recognize that life is not about doing what we want, but about doing what you want, of following and fulfilling your purpose for our lives. We ask for your anointing upon our lives. We ask for your anointing upon our church to meet the needs of people with compassion. May we seek to fulfill your calling on our lives no matter what stage in life we are, whether we're young, in the middle, or older. Help us to think about the eternal significance of our lives. And we pray that each one of us would leave a spiritual legacy. God, we pray that our church would reach its calling as each of us seeks to Follow your calling for our lives and reach more people than ever before, both in St. Louis and around the world. And today we also pray for missionary Jason and his family in North Africa. We pray that you would protect them, help them break through the barriers of Islam there and build your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.